Hello and welcome to Strange Stuff. My name is Andy. And uh, I'm Mark. Don't tell me I've caught you doing research. <laughs> no, I, I finished work early today, so. Well, it's just started raining now, anyway. So. Has it? Yeah. Right. Here at least. Mm-hmm. What are you snacking on? Crisp day cat. Oh my god, it's a cat. Yeah, he thinks he owns the place. Hi, right, Dave. I'm not surprised if he gets free food all the time. I actually listened to one of the podcasts today. Did you? Yeah. They are mildly entertaining. Which one? Atlantis. All right, okay. But the cat's gone. Right, come on then. This is going to be our breakthrough episode, Andy. I can feel it. BBC calling next week. Actually, I think you're going to like this. This week, we're going to talk about a little story which may even be based in truth. <laughs> this this uh, this episode, we're going to go to Scotland. All right, yeah, close to home. Well, closer to home. Close to home? Are you Scottish? No, we're in Sweden. Scotland's close to Sweden, isn't it? Not in these days. Yes, well, Scotland's a hell of a lot closer than London, where you claim to be from. <laughs> I'm definitely from London. In the 12th century, where we're headed, yes. Sweden was a world away. Yeah, wasn't that the time of the uh, Crusades, though? 1200s? No, I think wasn't that even earlier. Wasn't the that Swedes sort of... were trekking via Scotland on their way to um, the Med, North Africa. Didn't, anyway, they, didn't they stop off in Greece for a couple of weeks in Santorini? Could have done, yes. But I'm sure they stopped in Scotland. Um I can't remember the name of that TV series. Definitely Vikings in Scotland. Was anyway, it, carry on. Was the TV series Vikings? <laughs> was it? It could have been. I'm sure they went to Scotland. I think if you're talking about the one that was on the Discovery Channel every Sunday, that was Vikings. I don't know. I've never watched Discovery Channel. Anyway, we're off to Scotland. No yes. murders, really. No murders. Can you just let me tell the story? We're going to a place called Annan, which was based on the river Annan in Annan in Scotland. And more specifically, it was a place called Annan Castle. The castle now is just like a brown hole in the ground. The last remnants of it were removed in 1875. Okay, uh, sounding a bit worrying when you say were removed. Well, I mean, it was a ruin. Right. There was just a handful of stones left, basically. Okay, yeah. It was originally built in the early 12th century by King William the Lion. Hart. Nope, not King William the Lionheart. King William, with an oh, N, right. the Lion. Right. Remember, in okay. those days, Scotland had their own king. Right, I don't think they had Welsh accents, though, even in those days. That was exactly <laughs> as he spoke. I've listened to his stream. <laughs> King William the Lion. It was built to serve as a stronghold for the de Bruce family, lords right. of Annandale. 
and it was chosen for a strategic position on the river to guard the crossing from Galloway, Ireland, uh, which at the time was an independent region from the Kingdom of Scotland. And it also served to guard route north into Lothian and Strathclyde. The castle long served as home to Robert de Bruce, also commonly known as the competitor. Now this is where it gets a bit complicated. I'm already lost. He was the father to the future King of Scotland, Robert the Bruce. Right. And Got grandfather it. to Robert the First, the Bruce. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, um, I think I'm, I'm following you so far. I'm. I'm. Lo- I've lost myself. I mean, what, I don't know if it was a lack of imagination or if it was a genius, cunning plan to confound the English by calling all the kids Robert the so, Bruce. So if anybody was caught behind enemy lines and he was interrogated, say, "Okay, who's in charge of your army?" I'd be, "Oh, well, that'd be Rab the Fighter." <laughs> That's better, actually. Yep, you got both English and Scottish accents quite good there. Thank you. And then the second question would be, Okay, who's in charge of your espionage division? And your rab would say, oh, That'd be sneaky rab. Yeah, that one didn't quite work so well. But anyway, carry on. So we're in Scotland, 1200s, castle, strategic position. Okay, well, it's with the grandfather, Robert de Bruce. Yes. That we get to talk of our story, which involves vampires at the castle. Oh, really? How do you feel about vampires? I mean, I don't really have... I haven't been to Hollywood, so... Well... Yeah, no, I'm sorry. It's a bridge too far as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, you know, interesting subject. I did enjoy that first episode of that film that love story you know the one the kids liked yeah that family of vampires uh living in some foresty area of uh america and uh, one of them the son falls in love with a normal girl no idea what you're talking about. And I thought the I was the famous, one who was the, up on The one that culture. started all of the vampire popularity. Oh, anyway. my God. Of course, you had a young girl in the family at that time. Well, as you did. So carry on. We're getting interesting here. Vampires, yes. Okay. Now, at Scotland, of course, with hundreds of years of feuds and battles and muddas and curses and broken love affairs, there's no surprise that the castles have got their fair share of ghost stories. And the vampire story of Annan Castle is perhaps based on a true story. If you believe that vampires existed. Oh. Because if it, if it, if you don't believe that, then obviously it can't be a true story. But you don't believe you don't believe in anything supernatural, do you? I mean, I've got like supernatural God. powers. <laughs> yes, how anybody could spend twenty minutes listening to you has to involve some sort of super, now, supernatural. Power. I can prove to you that I have supernatural powers. Right. Yeah. I I bet you I can tell you what you had for breakfast this morning. I bet you can't. It's Nanny's homemade marmalade on toast. And <laughs> where did you get that? <laughs> That was very good. You worked that into the excellent Nellie's homemade marmalade. Oh, dear. Oh, that's a good one, Andy. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. That's enough of that. (laughs) Right, vampire stories. Annan Castle. Um, Ever since the 12th century, the Bruce family considered themselves cursed. Robert Bruce believed he contracted leprosy as a result of having the finger of God upon him and a consequence of the family's execration. Which is? Execration. Yeah. You should know this. No, I don't. It means cursed or loathed. You've been execrated, surely. (laughs) Several times. (laughs) All right, that's a good one. Cursed or loathed. Yes, I'll use that in future. Yeah, try to work it in. (laughs) Execrate your friends. 
The legend of the mysterious curse is said to have begun with a visitor to the castle by the name of Saint Malachi, who was the Archbishop of Armagh in 1138. Sorry to put a bit of a kibosh on the story, yep. but people don't call themselves Saint Malachi because you, you're made a saint after you're dead. Yes, but I'm pretty certain that by now he is dead and that his canonization <laughs> would have taken place after, after 1138. After his visit to it, the castle. 1138, he wasn't a saint, but probably by midday... He could have been. Could well have been. Right. Malachi, did you say? Saint Malachi, you're not going to believe his first name. I mean, we thought the A-list celebrities of today are flaky as f*** with their children's names. But Saint Ferocious Malachi was an Irish saint, and he was also the Archbishop of Armagh. To whom were attributed several miracles and an alleged vision of 112 popes, which was later attributed to the apocryphal prophecy of the popes or magic mushrooms. Good, good man. Yes, research. So he was visiting the castle. He was visiting the castle, and the reason for his visit was to make a request of Robert and to ask him for his mercy on a wronged man. Now, according to the tale, there was a robber who was set to be hanged, but Malachi believed that he was actually innocent. And since Robert acted as the chief lawman of the region, Malachi had come to ask that he be pardoned and spared from execution. Now, there are several versions of what is said to have happened next. In one, Robert straight out refuses and has the man hanged immediately despite pleas from Malachi. And in another version, he agrees but later Malachi sees the condemned man hung on the gallows with the promise broken in either case the man is hanged and this really makes Malachi mad and he decides to lay down God's wrath not only on Robert but on the entire de Bruce family not the sort of person you'd want to cross and now a word from our sponsors it's not like he became the mayor of the town or the police chief he actually became a saint oh yeah but he, that's not all he did with his life talk just about cursing. choosing your enemies he wasn't just going around execrating left, right and centre. No, but it's still, at least he had the power to do it. So now you're a believer. What, that's got nothing to do with vampires, <laughs> that's got to do with saints. I had a Catholic upbringing, of course I believe in saints. Ah, okay. It's just God I don't believe in. Anyway. Okay, so he cursed the entire de Bruce family and the castle itself. In later years, Robert de Bruce would blame the curse on nearly everything that happened to the family, including the rising level of the river, Annan, of which the flooding uh, threatened the castle, fires, sickness, and of course, when Robert E. eventually contracted leprosy, he blamed this too on the curse. Yet the worst effect the curse had started with a stranger and a mysterious plague. Plague? Plague. Yes. Okay, the, the arrival of a mysterious stranger from York who wandered in and was given lodgings by the de Bruce family at the castle. The rumours at the time were that this man was on the run for some crimes or atrocities he had committed. He's a bit of a magnet, this fellow Bruce, in terms of criminals. Well, in those days, remember in 1130 was named, there probably wasn't much in the way of job opportunities in the northern Scottish regions, unless well, you, you were, were a castle a builder. Or a, exactly, a farmer or a lord. Yeah, or, anyway, or he's, he's said to have married a wife. As far as the crimes he had committed, they're a bit unclear, but as He's a, from as he fled from Yorkshire, I'm guessing it was probably the raising of whippets and the racing of pigeons. Yes, both not of wanting which, to stereotype northerners in any way. Both of which were punishable by death, I believe, in those days. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. He's said to have married a wife, 
but he soon became convinced that she was cheating on him, leading him to hatch a plan to catch her in the act. William of Newbury would write of this man and his woes, and I'm going to have to quote him. Now, are you aware of who William of Newbury is? No, don't have a clue. Newbury's down south, though, isn't it? He's from Bridlington in East Yorkshire. Right, that's not down south. He was a 12th century English historian and also an Augustinian canon of Anglo-Saxon descent. I'm impressed with his credentials. He's, He's got some street credentials. Anyway, he wrote, A certain man of evil conduct, flying through fear of his enemies or the law, out of the province of York to the lord of the before-named castle, Anan, took up his abode there, and having cast upon a service befitting his humour, laboured hard to increase rather than correct his own evil propensities. Right. So I'm guessing he started breeding the bloody whippets. But we haven't got to any blood sucking as yet. Chill your nuts. We're getting there. <laughs> he married a wife to his own ruin indeed, as it afterwards appeared. For hearing certain rumours respecting her, he was vexed with the spirit of jealousy. Anxious to ascertain the truth of these reports, he pretended to be going on a journey from which he would not return for some days. But coming back in the evening, he sneaked into his bedroom and lay hidden on a beam overhanging his wife's chamber that he might prove with his own eyes if anything were done to the dishonour of his marriage bed. Thereupon beholding his wife in the act of fornication with a young man of the neighbourhood and in his indignation forgetful of his purpose he fell and was dashed heavily to the ground (laughs) near where they were laying. (laughs) Now the the fool didn't kill him but... (laughs) And as the other man fled, the wife helped her husband. And shortly after this, he fell down with a mysterious illness and died in his sleep some nights later. Right. After this... Many other people in the area, too, began to fall ill, until it was spreading like a plague through the castle and surrounding towns. In addition to this, it was reported that the man who had been staying at the castle was lurking around the shadows at night, pale and gaunt, despite the fact that he died and had been buried in the cemetery. In addition... Zombie. Zombie. In addition to rising from the grave, he was often seen in the presence of a pack of vicious barking dogs. Whippets. Told you. Dogs, are they? What? The whippets dogs. Yeah. What do you think they are? They're like little small greyhounds. They were like minks. No, they're like small greyhounds. Have you ever seen anyone wearing a. I was thinking of a ferret. Have you ever seen. I was thinking of a ferret. Have you ever seen one of the Hollywood A listers wearing a whippet coat? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right, no, you're right. They're dogs. Of course they are. Right. So, pack of wild whippets surrounding this zombie character. Yeah, who would follow him around everywhere. And it was also said that he would attack people, and wherever he went, the mysterious plague followed. This is this William of Newbury who's reporting all of this still, is it? This is what he was writing, yeah. All right. Now, bear in mind also, this is 1100. 30 something so i don't know the whys and wherefores of his writings because the printing press wasn't invented until about 1430 and that's why it was only religious texts that were actually published because they were the only people that could afford to have a a gang of writers do their stuff for them Uh, although in those days it's possible that woodblock printing was a thing oh no no that was about 100 years before the printing press exactly so this fellow's lurking around the castle with a gang of whippets yep and possibly 
possibly inside. some homing pigeons. Yes. And attacking people. And wherever and he went, the mysterious death. plague followed. Now, oh, I have right. a theory about this. I'm sure you... Because... Are we interested in hearing about it? That's I the question. I think the actual plague, the Black Death, was around about that time. Was um, it not? 1100s? Uh, well, certainly there was another one closer to the 15-1600s, but maybe this was the original. Oh, no, Black. you're actually right, because the Great Fire of London wiped it out. That was in exactly. 1666. Yes, yeah. But I'm sure there was a plague. There must have been lots of plagues around in the sort of 1100s. Yeah, mostly scurvy. That's not a plague. You can't catch scurvy. Oh, how do you get scurvy then? That's dietary. Uh, what lack is it of, when you don't have... vitamin C. Exactly. Yes. Well, not many orange groves in Scotland in those days. No, so that's true. That's true. So anyway... What, what, what was this? You think that was the... Um... Well, the belief at the time, it doesn't matter what I think, well, let's go back to the facts of the matter. <laughs> the belief at the time was that he rose from his grave at night, animated by some sinister energy, only to return to it after his night of malevolence had come to an end and the sun rose, bringing pestilence to wherever he had been. Other rumours were that the man was feeding off the blood of those he attacked and that these people would soon succumb to the disease as well, which is how the vampire story started. The people of the region became terrified of this apparent revenant, and William of Newbury would say of this in his handwritten printings, a Christian burial indeed he received, though unworthy of it. But it didn't much benefit him for issuing by the handiwork of Satan from his grave at night time, and pursued by a pack of dogs with horrible barkings. He wandered through the courts and around the houses, while all men made fast their doors and did not dare to go abroad on any errand whatever from the beginning of the night until sunrise, for fear of meeting and being beaten black and blue by this vagrant monster. But those precautions were of no avail, for the atmosphere, poisoned by the vagaries of this foul carcass, filled every house with disease and death by its pestiferous breath. What a great word, pestiferous. I'm thinking that this is actually long before vampire stories came about. This may be one of the original vampire stories. You're absolutely right. And there are a lot of people today who would or insist Purport. that Bram Stoker got his original inspiration for the vampire story Dracula from these very works. William of Newbury. William of Newbury. Or the story of Annan Castle. Really? No, yes. well, that is mildly interesting, Andy. Well done. We're not finished. No, I know, but it's a reasonable topic of conversation. Do you think? We'll see. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. Already the town, which was a short time ago populous, appeared mostly deserted, while those of its inhabitants who had escaped destruction migrated to other parts of the country, lest they too should die. Now two men, who lost their father to the plague, brought by this undead creature, decided it was time to fight back and destroy the evil once and for all. And they went about hunting down the location of the grave under the protection of sunlight, armed with shovels to dig and torches to kill it with righteous fire. They apparently found the corpse soon enough and when they did they were shocked to see that the man looked to be engorged with blood this frightened them but they were so driven by the desire to avenge their dead father and commence their assault the writings of william of newbury described what followed thereupon snatching up a spade but of indifferent sharpness of edge and hastening to the cemetery they began to dig and whilst they were thinking they would have to dig to a greater depth they suddenly before much of the earth had been removed laid bare the corpse swollen to an enormous corpulence with its countenance beyond measure turgid and suffused with blood while the napkin in which it had been wrapped it must have been a pretty small fellow <laughs> or a big napkin appeared nearly torn to pieces the young men however spurred on by wrath 
Feared not, and inflicted a wound upon the senseless carcass, out of which incontinently flowed such a stream of blood that it might have been taken for a leech filled with the blood of many persons. Then, dragging it beyond the village, they speedily constructed a funeral pyre, and upon one of them saying that the pestilential body would not burn unless its heart were torn out, the other laid open its side by repeated blows of the blunted spade, and, thrusting in his hand, dragged out the accursed heart, this being torn piecemeal, and the body now consigned to the flames. It was announced to the guests what was going on. Well, they had a party. Guessing there wasn't much in the way of entertainment in those days. Clearly. So a good a good corpse digging and burning was probably like a, a rock festival today. Did it burn? Oh, well, the guests who were running thither enabled themselves to testify henceforth to the circumstances. And when that infernal hellhound had thus been destroyed, the pestilence which was rife among the people ceased, as if the air, which had been corrupted by the contagion motions of the dreadful corpse were already purified by the fire which had consumed it. That's quite a good story. Uh, but so one has to go back to who this fellow William of Newbury was. I mean, obviously one needs to do a little bit of, um, not research, when you, uh, Providence, check the Providence of this fellow. The provenance. Even. Provenance. Provenance of this fellow. Well... He was born in 1136 in Bridlington. He was an English chronicler who is remembered as the author of one of the most valuable historical works on the 11th and 12th century England. And that was the Castle of Annan story. Um, it's pretty graphic stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing he was a bit of a pornographer of his time. <laughs> it sells, it sells. And if you're handwriting this shit, you need to sell as much of it as possible. It's expensive well, to produce. and it's, ex- it's ex- I think I preferred him as the originator of the vampire story. Okay, well, what he is most associated with is his book, Historia Rerum Anglicarum, which was written between 1196 and 1198, which was translated from the Latin into the History of English Affairs. And it covers the period from 1066 to 1198, William the Conqueror. All right. I wonder how many copies of that are still in existence today. I wonder. Be worth trying to get a hold of one. Yeah, on the cheap. Have you checked eBay? That's something that always amazes me. How uh, historical documents are relatively inexpensive, bearing in mind how much cars go for these days. You know, signed autograph copies of letters from Winston Churchill and all sorts of people go for peanuts. Yeah, but the, there's a reason for that. Yeah, but because anybody with half a brain doesn't attach ludicrous amounts of value, whereas someone who buys a car for two million quid, you have to question their intellect. Yeah, but also it's incredibly easy to fake documents and signatures, oh, good point. Um, which would intrinsically reduce the value of anything genuine because nobody can be sure what the fuck is real and what the f- fake anymore uh, that, that actually that's a good point you're right you're right i take it back so have we actually unearthed the original vampire story is that what we're claiming i wouldn't say we've unearthed the original vampire story because i'm sure that many other cultures and countries have their own version of a similar tale uh, uh, yes because isn't it transylvania where <coughs> they all came from well you, you've obviously got the original vlad the impaler which most people attribute the story of dracula to that's right actually yes that's right. And that wasn't Transylvania. Was it that Transylvania? Was, that was Romania. Romania. Which is where Transylvania is, I believe. I don't know. I'm not up on Eastern Europe. I'm definitely going to Google that before I put it in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't want our, I don't want our listener writing in going, aha! <laughs> I had a thought earlier in this thing. Yes. That the word ferocious 
yes. which you described as some uh, Hollywood social media naming their children something stupid, mm-hmm. maybe the word ferocious came from him. He actually created the word ferocious to describe the behaviour because that's what he was. So he his name was for which could have been a normal name in those days. If he if I, he... I baptised his child ferocious, could have been completely normal. Uh, and we took on the meaning of the word ferocious because what he got up to. Well, possibly, but if he if he called himself ferocious, that's well, I assume it was his parents who named him ferocious. I don't know who, who na- you didn't name yourself Andy, did you? Uh, my parents named me Andrew. Did they? Well, of course, everyone uh, is called assume... Andy is called Andrew. I, I just well, you say that, not necessarily true. I thought from your neck of the woods in London, maybe Andy was a real name. Well, it is a real name. <laughs> my name anyway you've done well to uncover the source of the vampire stories he didn't last very long though did he who the uh the supposedly the first vampire i don't know how long he was operating for uh it's hard to say because but it was it was long enough that people started fleeing to other villages i would yeah, but you could afford to, couldn't you? Because you would be Lord Snooty of Anan. Whereas me, I would be the fella, steward of your stool, as it were. I, I couldn't afford to leave... <laughs> steward my, of my stool. I couldn't afford to leave my little thatched hole in the ground. Actually, what I need to report to you and the listeners is... The difference between you and me, Andy, is I'm eating crisps out of a bowl, whereas you would eat them out of a bag. I would eat them off the floor. That's how well I was drunk. <laughs> yes, <up. laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, well, we haven't been interrupted by phone calls today. That's a bit of a first. Yep, thank God. Anyway, let's get back to this story, because we, we've, we've got to wrap it up. So, Go for it. I thought we had. Uh, although the creature described is never specifically referred to as a vampire, it is obviously a tale of such. And it leaves one to wonder if there was any truth to this story. Is there any historical reality to this tale, or is it merely a legend, along with the supposed curse on the castle? Now, whether Annan Castle was cursed and menaced by a vampire or not, the castle was mysteriously abandoned for reasons still debated and not completely understood. Some think it was because of the rising of the River Annan, while others believe, and this could be a possibility, that the de Bruce family simply moved to a new castle they had built at Loch Meban. <laughs> yes, that would explain it as well. A short distance to the north. But others point to the old stories and suggest it may well have been due to the curse and the vampire. That's a good one. It's not underwater now. It's not one of these three-storey buildings that the scientists discovered the other no, day. No, 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 no. It's, it's not underwater. The River Annan is pretty much the same level as it was back then. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a picture of it. Maybe we can get a picture of it and put it up on the website. Oh, we could do that. It's work. <laughs> yeah. Considering the story is so old and almost exclusively known about from William of Newbury, which, in fact, he got secondhand from a monk who had been there, it's impossible to tell just how much of the tale is fact, fact or fiction. Whatever the case may be, it is a rather odd and spooky tale surrounding this undeniably creepy place. Excellent. I've got it on my bucket list of places to visit. The yep. Castle of Annan. And I'll bring my stake with me just in case. And would you have that steak rare or medium? Or is it a silver bullet? That's werewolves. So how do you kill a vampire? A steak to the heart. All right, good. If I'll you remember it. that. Uh, no, sorry. Well, then why are you taking a steak with you? Well, I may be wrong. Even I accept that I can be wrong occasionally. <laughs> 
never catch me doubting my own integrity. <laughs> That's because you don't have any. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, dear. So, right, a vampire story. Yes, and that brings us to the end of this episode, sadly. Excellent. Good. Yes, I'm sure everybody's going to be overjoyed <laughs> if they've <laughs> got to the end of it. Oh, dear. A little bit of editing required. But anyway, if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to join us for the next one. You can find details of all our episodes at www.strangestuffpodcast.com, along with some pictures of myself and Mark kissing a fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear no um, that was a good one yeah. that was a good one so please join us next time <laughs>